Well, it's great to see you today. I uh, just spilled coffee all down the front of me, so sorry about that if you see that. <laughs> it has been a, uh, a great, uh, crazy week, but man, last, last Sunday I couldn't be here with you all, and unfortunately I, I, got to, uh, I had to miss just some great stuff that happened. I wanted to celebrate some people. We had three people that uh, just took a huge step in their relationship with Christ last Sunday. So I wanted to give it up. I got a picture of them. Robin and Janice Strode and uh, Leanna Drewing. Did you give it up for those folks that were <laughs> baptized last Sunday? That's, uh, I tell you, those are some of the nicest people you ever want to meet, too. They're really great. They were at our last starting point also, which was uh, just a great time. Well, I, uh, I thought I'd li- give you guys a little update on me. If you were here last Sunday, you know, uh, Phil stepped in, which I really appreciate him jumping in the clutch like that to preach for me. But my, uh, we, we, had a, we had a wild week. Uh, on Saturday, my mother, uh, he, she's 67 years old, uh, had a just sudden cardiac arrest. It's a really weird thing that happened, but it's, if you're familiar with what happened to DeMar Hamlin this past football season, it's the same kind of thing. Her heart, she had an extra heartbeat, and it beat at just the wrong time and stopped her heart, and uh, she died. And just so happened, my uncle, who wasn't supposed to be there, uh, just happened to be there, started performing CPR on her, and the EMTs came. They had to shock her heart five times, and they kind of sort of got it back a little. But uh, we went, uh, left here, went straight to the hospital in northern Kentucky. And every, every doctor that was there, every nurse, every health professional we talked to, which they were all wonderful, but every single one of them told us, they said, listen, your mom's not going to survive this. People don't survive this, and she's got lots of other, some other health stuff too, so the, the deck is really stacked against her here, and, uh, and, and even if by some slim chance she survives, she's going to have major brain damage, she's not going to be the same person, but really we, we, don't expect her to, we don't expect her to survive, and I wish that I could say, because I'm the preacher, I, that I just right then and there said, no, we're not accepting that, we're going to start praying because we believe that our God is a God of miracles, but I'll, I'll be honest with you, I just lost hope. It was, I was furiously angry at God. Uh, and so anyways, uh, they lowered her body temperature, and on Monday, they uh, started to bring it back up, and I was... Uh, got to the hospital about 8 30 and my brothers had just been there and they had woken her up but as I was going to the room my brothers said uh, well she's just kind of looking all over the place and um, and I said well I'm going to go in and see her so I walked in and then and the nurse uh, who was there said yes she's got brain damage so she's not it's just all reactionary stuff and uh, I walked over to the side of the bed and I grabbed her hand I just said mom and as soon as I did she looked right at me just focused on me. And I said, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand. And she did. And I told the nurse, I said, she, she sees me, she's responding to me. And the nurse argued with me. said, no, she's not. It's just all reactions. I said, no, she's squeezing my hand. Look, she said, no, it's just all reactionary. And, and uh, I said, well, I don't really care what she says. I told Megan, I said, call my brothers up here right now. And my brothers walked in the room and stood at the other side of the bed. And they said, mom. And she just turned and looked right at them. And uh, we were still kind of arguing with the nurse, and she just didn't believe us. But uh, I kind of talked to her again. I said, Mom, I'm right here. And she looked at me, and she started crying. And uh, they, they didn't they even, they began to say, okay, she's waking up. We can see some things that are happening, but they're expecting major brain damage. And she just improved and improved and improved and improved. And uh, she had the ventilator in for a couple of days, so she couldn't talk to us. 
But we gave her a piece of paper, and I've got a picture of, of this, but she, she wrote to us. She, uh, her, she wrote, I, I love Jesus, and I love you all. And then she wrote, because her sock was kind of annoying her on her foot, she wrote sock. She wanted her sock. And we said, that's, that's in true mom fashion. That's a, this shows her priorities are right in order. Fix my sock. I love Jesus, and I love you all. But, <laughs> But I, I guess I tell you all that because I, I cannot d- tell you all how much we appreciate your prayers and how humbled I, I feel. I don't know why God saved my mom. I'm grateful. But all I know right now is my faith has never been stronger. Our God can do anything. I've never, I, I just, I, it's, I've watched a miracle in front of my eyes and I, I've never seen a miracle like I've seen this past week. It's unbelievable. And there's no other, no other explanation other than God stepped in and he, he healed my mom. And so I'm, I'm so thankful to you all. I'm thankful to the Lord for, for, for that. I felt like I went from the depths of hell to the, the top of the highest mountain. And if you've ever felt that, you know, you know what it feels like. About the only prayer I could squeak out early last week was, I know the Bible says that when, we are, when we're so broken... That, uh, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that we can't even express ourselves. And I remember at one point saying that to God, saying, I, I don't have anything to say. I just need the Holy Spirit to say what needs to be said. And that's about the most I could get out. And it was, it, it was enough. I, I know when, when you're in the position where you, where you feel broken and hopeless and you don't know what to do, those are... The, the roller coaster ride, there's some pretty tough questions that you start asking yourself. Uh, we had to go on Sunday, when you all were here at church, and my brother and I had to go over to her house to, to go find her living will. Because uh, Monday we were fully expecting to have to come in and make hard decisions. Uh, just, I just can't, can't describe what that felt like. It was uh, crazy. But you know the, the, those moments when you ask yourself tough questions, when you ask God tough questions... We've got to be confronted with difficult questions sometimes. And, and what I want to look at today is a really great passage of Scripture in John chapter 5 where Jesus asks a, a really hard question and he changes a man's life. And I believe that the question that he asked this guy is similar to what he would ask each one of us. I, I, I know that he wants to change our lives today. Jesus doesn't just call you to follow him. He calls, and then, and then to, you know, well, just kind of live a, a meaningless life or a boring life. Jesus wants to get your life moving in a positive direction. And, and I am absolutely convinced that he wants us to live with the, the kind of power. You know, the Bible tells us that if we are a follower of Christ, that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a part of the Trinity, we know that God is three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit is the, it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That same powerful Spirit lives in each one of us. And I, I'm convinced that we're called to let Him lead. That, that He wants to drive us and influence us and and give us power as well. And, and I, I want to I see the flow to this passage. I want to make the application because I believe the way that this story flows is the same way God works in our lives today to get us 
to the place that we need to be. So what's happening in this passage? There's a man who was laying helplessly by this pool, this place called Bethesda. And he was paralyzed. Apparently, apparently this wasn't just any kind of pool, but there was a rumor. You know, like today, we, we might believe things. Oh, there's pl- places that have special powers or something. that if, I, if you just go to this or that, something. And, and you know, I don't, I don't buy that. But it was rumored that, that angels came and periodically stirred the water. And whoever dove into the pool first would receive this miraculous healing. That was the story of the day. So needless to say, people would flock from all over. They made a trip. You know, to get to this place so that they might have a shot at being the first one in the pool. This guy was sick with the same disease for 38 years. For 38 years, he laid beside this pool because he couldn't make it in fast enough. When Jesus shows up, he happens to be in the area, he changes everything by beginning with an important question. If we look at John 5, beginning in verse 5, it says that one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him, and he knew that he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? When you read that question, and I've wrestled with this for a long, long, long time, it just seems cruel to me. Sort of how I felt this week. I mean, when when I felt like my, my mother had been ripped away from me without even having a chance to say goodbye. I, I just, it just felt like, God, are, are you just messing with me? Do you love me at all? Do you care? I mean, I try to serve you, and this just seems unbelievably cruel. And, and that's what I kind of see at first, at first glance with this. Jesus comes along. God's been laying there 38 years in misery and pain. And, and the first thing that, that our, our Savior says, hey, would you like to be well? What do you think? You know, why, why is he laying there? Well, this is just, it just doesn't make sense. 38 years. In our context today, this guy's been laying there since 1985. Of course he wants to be well. But Jesus, he asked the question, seems so obvious. But does he? Does he want to be well? It's interesting that when he's presented with this question... You would think the guy would answer a simple yes or no. I just like laying here. This is a great place, you know, whatever, whatever. But he does something else. He doesn't, he doesn't answer Jesus' question. He offers an excuse. And you and I do the same thing. You probably heard of the, uh, the loser's limp. It's when an athlete, if you're watching a ball game and they miss a big, they miss a big shot or, you know, they miss a catch or something, you know, spotlights on them, the cameras are focused on them, and everybody's waiting for them to, you know, to perform, and, and they miss. You know, something happens, they miss the catch, they miss the shot, whatever, and, and you'll see them do this all the time. They fall on the floor, and then everybody's like, oh, no, 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 and you see them step up, and they just kind of, you know, hobble back, oh, gosh, oh, and that's the loser's limp, because what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm looking for sympathy right now. That's really what it is. I'm, and then in five seconds, they're fine again. Like nothing hurts. There's nothing wrong with them. But in that moment, they, they just screwed up. And they know it. They missed, you know, whatever we all do. But they know that they, they missed the shot. And so I'm, I'm inviting some sympathy into my life. And when we're confronted by something, that's what the loser's limp is all about. It's an excuse. It's a way for us to slide out from the reality that we're imperfect people. 
we got issues, and that's what we're going to see that this guy does. He makes an excuse. Verse 7, he said, I can't, sir. But that's not what Jesus asked. Do you want to be well? But he, you see how he pivots. I can't, for I've got no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Well, I think more often than not, this is how God works in our lives to get us moving. He starts with a question. If you allow yourself to be sensitive enough to the voice of God, you're going to find that God, more often than not, he asks, we're looking for God to tell us something. I want God to tell me. You know, tell me what to do. Tell me what to, where to go. Tell me what I should be doing. And very often, I find that God just flips it right around and says, well, what do you want to do? What do you think I, I want to do in your life? What, where do you think we're headed? He asks these, these questions. That's the mark of a great counselor, too. A counselor doesn't tell you what to do. If you've ever been, you know that. A great counselor, they know how to ask great questions. You know, Tell me more about that. What, what, do you, what do you think is happening? What do you think could be behind that? Because they want you to make those discoveries yourself. Because chances are you already know the answer, but you just haven't accepted it yet. And often God asks us a question. One of the very first questions he asks is, will you follow me? Will you trust me as your Savior? And then as we grow, he asks us, will you follow me here? Do you trust me enough to go there? Or are we going to walk together through this? Will you serve me like that? And when we deal with our, our flaws and we deal with sin issues, God asks, do you want to be free from this? I know a lot of people that have been enslaved to temptation and sin for a long, long, long time. And we say, oh, I wish I didn't have this. I wish I, I, wish I didn't struggle like this. I wish I could move past this thing. Why doesn't God just take it away from me? And God will say, do you, do you want to be free from it? Do you really want healing from this? Why do you keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result? Why do you think of yourself like that? Why don't you trust me more? But often it's in our nature to make excuses. We, we do the loser's limp because we don't know how to admit, yes, I have a problem. I, I struggle with my faith. I don't trust you like I wish that I did. And, and yeah, I, I want to be free from this, but I don't know how to start. That's why I love that Tom Petty song that John and the band kicked off with. I, I won't back down. You know, the world keeps pushing me around, but I won't back down. That's, that's what it's all about. And it all begins with that question, do I really, really want to stay where I am? God asks us that too. Will you... Will you step out of what you're used to? Will you step out of what's been normal? And in John 5, Jesus, he presses in a little further on this guy. So he asks him a question, do you, want, do you want to be well? And the guy offered an excuse. So then Jesus, he, he presses with a challenge. And, and you're going to see this in your life. Every time that God wants to move, he's going to ask you a question. And then he's going to challenge you. And that's where a lot of people fall apart. Is because, okay, I can, ha I can handle maybe the question. Uh, but then when it feels hard, well, well, I didn't expect that. I wanted everything easy. I wanted God to do the work for me. I want him to do all the heavy lifting. That's not the way it works. Jesus always challenged people. He said, if you're going to be my disciple, well, here's what it's going to look like for you. He said, you're going to pick up a cross. That's an instrument of torture. He said, you're going to pick it up, and you're going to follow me. Carry it. 
And he, he said, you know, if you're going to be a follower of me, you need to understand what sacrifice is going to look like. Because even in the animal kingdom, you're going to see that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. They have places to land, you know. They've got a, a place of security where everything feels safe and everything feels comfortable and they don't have to worry, you know, about, he says, but, but I've got nowhere to lay my head. So if you're going to follow me, be prepared. Be prepared to feel like the ground beneath you is shifting. But will you trust me enough to keep going? Will you trust me enough to continue to walk? You follow me, I'm, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'll send you out as a disciple to, to make other disciples. He challenges us. Here's how he challenges this guy in John 5, verse 8. He told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Uh, this guy is an invalid. He's been there for 38 years. Everybody would have known who he was, and everybody knew what was wrong with him. He hadn't been in the water yet. And, and I have to tell you, this is... Part of the reason that, and, and maybe this is the, the, the man in me, I, I'm not sure what it is, but this is part of why I love Jesus so much. This is why I just, to me, he is so irresistible because he doesn't pacify this guy. He doesn't just lean over and give him little forehead kisses and say, everything's going to be okay, baby. It's going to be all right. Come here, give me a hug. He doesn't do that. He doesn't hold his hand and pat his hand. Oh, bless your, bless your little heart. Bless your, bless your poor little soul. You know, he's, he didn't treat him like a grandma. What does he do? He pushes him. I mean, it's like a great coach. He says, well, get up. Pick up your mat. Let's go. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't say, I'll tell you what, first thing in the morning, I'm going to kick everybody out of here, and I'll piggyback you right into the water. I'll make sure you get in there. You know, and he doesn't say, well, maybe, maybe tomorrow it'll work out. Oh, sorry, I got places to go. I got people to see. Good luck to you. Keep trying. And he, and he didn't bring down a dozen angels on some grand display either to make this big performance. He, just, he, to, he does something so much more powerful. Jesus invites this man into his own healing process. He's asking him to do something really, it seems impossible. And Jesus did all the healing there. The miracle happened because Jesus is God. And, but he's, he's pushing this guy. And when Jesus challenges you and me, this is, the, this is the pivotal moment. Because everything hangs now on how we respond. What am I going to do? Am I going to trust him? You think about your own sickness or you think about your own emotional wound scars. Think about the hard things that you're going through in life and maybe it's a grudge that you're carrying or it's some bitterness and and you know you're you're fine with that but it, it continues to gnaw at you a little bit. Whatever wall that you've built up around yourself as a security blanket you just kind of hang on to. You're used to it by now. It's been around a while. It's been a part of your existence and yeah it may be smelly and scratchy and you've been talking about getting rid of it and how awful it is and how desperate you are to move past it but when anybody tries to tug that thing away from you you hold on tight. Jesus asked do you want to be healed? Do you want to be free from this? And this guy in John 5 he, I think he'd resigned himself to just be lingering near the healing. I think he was okay with just being right there on the outside. 
looking in, but not participating in it. And how often do we do that? We, we still go to church, and we, we sit back, at, but we, we refuse to take any kind of step that would move us a little closer to where Jesus wants us to be. And yeah, we, we sit on the outside, we're looking in. I mean, we're here, we're there, we participate. I get the gold star for attendance. But yet we sit right on the outside, but we're not engaging with the gospel in our lives. And we still respond to our friends' text messages when they ask how we are. We say, oh, I'm doing great, I'm doing great. But we refuse to, to be vulnerable or to be open. We, uh, we may even still read the Bible, but we skip over the passages that convict us. I don't want to deal with that. I'm not willing to go there. You know, I've got some long-held beliefs or I've got some long-held, you know, emotional wounds or whatever it is. It's something in my background or my history that I don't want to deal with what God says about that. I don't trust it. I don't want to believe it. And I don't want to process it. So I'm going to ignore it. Here's a thought for you. I hope this will begin to change the way you think about the circumstances in your life. You, you cannot change what you're willing to tolerate. If you're, willing to, if you're willing to let it exist, if you're willing to coexist alongside it, it's never going to change. It's never going to go away for you someday. I, for a long time, I, I really believed the opposite of that, though. I really thought, there's things in my life that I thought, well, you know, I don't like this. But one day, you know, I always had like mile markers in my mind. Well, when I hit, maybe when I hit 25, this will go away. Or then when I hit 30, and maybe when I hit 35, maybe, maybe you know, when I hit 40, it's just going to go away for me, and I won't have to do anything. And it's not been true. Just like this guy at the pool, we can easily become comfortable with our dysfunction. Now we assume that that's just the way it is. It would just continue. It'd be easier to just continue on than to do the hard work of, of change. Think about the person that <clears throat> maybe somebody who has been stuck in the same place in life for years. <clears throat> they talk about how much they hate their job. They talk about how they feel like they're never making a difference. And I know I, I think I was made for something else, but you say, well, why don't you get moving towards it then? They say, well, I just, I think about it. I'd have to, I might have to go back to school. I'd have to, you know, uproot my family. It'd be scary. That, you know, I got some security right here. So maybe it's just easier to just keep doing what I'm doing. We offer excuses. Or you think about the person in the marriage that it's just, you know, they're just, they're just roommates. And there's no love. There's no intimacy. There's, there's, no, there's no passion or, 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 you know, good stuff there. And they, well, why, why is that? Why, do you, why are you okay with just accepting that? I say, well, because it's just, well, what are you going to do? You know, that's the way my parents were. That's the way this person, you know, a lot of people are like this. So we're just, we do it for the kids and just kind of, so why, 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 do we, why do we settle for that? We, we've got answers. We've got excuses to everything. There's always, there's always a way for, for change, though. There's always a way toward change. But you can't change what you're willing to tolerate. If you're willing to, to let it be, then it's going to continue to be. But when God's moving in your life, you can do a lot more than you think. Because it's His power at work in your life. It's the Holy Spirit that's moving. And, and when you're challenged, when, God, when God's pushing, you've got two choices. One is inaction. You just, you just sit just as you are. You say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything. I'm going to tolerate it. I'm gonna, I just decide that I can live with this. Or you can take action. And you begin the process of following where Jesus leads. So he said this. I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. That's what happens in this man's story. He responded to Jesus' call to action. 
But he challenged him. Jesus challenged him. It's risky. He said, get up and walk. And then in verse 9, it says, instantly the man was healed. So he rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. Just one of those miraculous, like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What, what just happened here? One, one line. It's this amazing, miraculous thing that happened. And, and this great move of God in, in our lives, they always follow a challenge. Let me ask you a question. What is it that you really want in life? You know, God gave you one. One shot on this earth. And we know that eternity is coming. We know that heaven's going to be there, and that's going to be great and wonderful. But everything that we do in this little, short little existence determines what eternity looks like. It's really important what we do now, and not just for us, but for people around us, because there's a lot of people out there that, that, that are going to, we're all going to end up somewhere someday. And Jesus told us, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this mission to you. I'm going to have you go out and and, and be fishers of men. You're going you're gonna to teach people. You're going to pray for them. You're going to love them and show them what I'm like. And, and, and so we're invited into that process. What, what is it that you really want in life? And what I've learned in my life, I think it's true of all of us, is deep down, it's not really about any one particular outcome on any particular project. Because all those things are just a means to an end. It would be easy to say, what do I really want out of life? Well, I'd like to make a lot of money. Well, why? It's not about the money. What is it? For you, you'd say, well, I guess I, I want security. I guess I, I guess I want to feel you know, like I can enjoy my life a little bit. Maybe I won't, won't have as much stress in my life. But, but when we think about what do you really want in life, a lot of, you know, we think about raises and vacations and grown man toys, you know, those are, that stuff's all secondary. It's just an extension of what we really want because what we really, I think what all of us really want is to be fully alive inside. We want to know that this life, that we, we matter and that we did something that matters and that God has used us in a way that, that really, that really is, is fulfilling. It's this inner freedom to live. It's not about any particular achievement or experience, but the, the most important task of your life, it's not what you do, but it's who you become. That's what's important. God made you to succeed. He made you to, to flourish and to, to be used by Him. All those good things that He had planned for your life long ago before you were even a, even a thought, He planned that stuff for you. And, and, and life is not measured by outward stuff like income and possessions and attractiveness. It, it means moving towards God's best version of yourself. And as God helps you to grow, you'll change. But you're always going to be you. You're always going to be who God... He didn't create you to be someone else. He made you unique with talents and gifts and passions. He planned you to be who you are. And sometimes we think that following Jesus means i got to be like somebody else. Got to start talking like somebody else and looking like somebody else. And, and that, that's not true. We kind of we throw out the baby with the bathwater. God doesn't want to get rid of who you are. He wants to redirect where you're going. Whenever you begin to move, though, this is just as a warning. The, the devil is going to be right there knocking on your door. With this guy, as soon as he was healed, he faces resistance. In his case, it comes in the form of just the... You, know, you think about the, 
if you ever watch superhero movies, you've always got like the good guys and you got the bad guys. You've always got, and they're just there, you know. I think about like Batman movie, Joker, you know, the Joker. He's always right around the corner messing stuff up. And that's, that's, how, that's how evil works in our lives. It's just always right there. And, and in, in, in this situation, it's, it's the, these people known as the Pharisees. They're just always around. And they're just always looking to tear something down. They were the religious guys of the day, which I think is a warning for us. These, these guys who were like, they were, just the, they were just the worst, always. They were the guys that, <laughs> they would have been in church. You know, they, they would have been running the church probably. And I think it's important for us to know that when you're doing what you know God is challenging you to do, there are going to be people, and some of them might appear to be faithful God-loving people, but there will be people who will pour cold water all over it. You get fired up about something, God's moving, and someone, I promise, is going to take all the wind out of your sails. When I was, uh, just this past week, when I was with mom, and I see, I'm just, I'm realizing that she's starting to respond, and, and I'm thinking, I mean, I'm just thinking in my mind, this is, mir- this is a miracle, this is a miracle, this is a miracle, I'm watching a miracle happen. And I'm not going to tell you who, but there's somebody in my life who's a real religious person that kept coming in over and over and over and telling me, no, no, it's not. No, that's not what's happening, Brandon. I just kept pouring cold water. I'm like, no, it is. Watch. And like, no, you're just seeing other stuff. No, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's over. It's just all over. And I'm like, get out of the room. Get out of here. You're such a Debbie Downer. There's, there's going to be those people. They're going to take the wind out of your sails. So try not to be that person, okay? Don't, don't be that guy. Let's look at what happens to this, this one in, in verse 9. It says, this miracle happened on the Sabbath. This great thing happened on the wrong day. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said, well, this man, this man who was cured said, you can't, you can't work on the Sabbath. In other words, they're saying, get back down on your mat. Go back to where you were. The law doesn't allow you to be carrying that, that sleeping mat. But he replied, he said, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. He said, well, who would say such a thing as that, they demanded. And the man didn't know because Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. So at this point, he didn't know. didn't know who Jesus is. That's the definition of legalism. It's the definition of it. If Some of you, maybe if you grew up in church, maybe you've experienced a little bit of this, where it's this, this incredible miracle happens, and instead of the Pharisees sharing in this guy's joy, they found a reason to bring him down. I, uh, I served at one of, one of my first churches that I served in, Years ago, I was just starting out in ministry. We, we dealt with a lot of this with just some people that were just, they'd just been, they'd just been oversaved. I don't know if, <laughs> if you understand what that means. But they'd just been oversaved, man. Uh, and, and they were just, we, we went through a period of time where we were having a lot of people that were accepting Christ for the very first time. Adults, they were just, you know, God was getting a hold of them and, and just changing them. And so that we, we were having a lot of people be baptized. And uh, so... We're baptizing these people. And I had an elder's wife. She was the most oversaved person I've ever met in my life. She, she came and she was really angry. We had to have a special meeting about it. Because she said, we got to do something about this. We got, we'll have to do something about all these baptisms. And I'm thinking, yeah, we got to do something. We need, to, we need to praise God, you know. She says, no, no, no. Whenever they're getting out of the baptistry, they're getting water all over the carpet. This, we can't have this. We can't have this. Like, you know, some people, they're just so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't get where that... 
comes from. We have to be careful. We have to be so careful not to have that pharisaical attitude toward the work of God in other people's lives. We, we have to celebrate. We have to come alongside and encourage and, and, and be, be constant and steady. When God is moving in our lives, we have to be careful not to allow the devil to kill that work. Because that's what he wants. He wants to snuff it out. He wants to stop it. Satan wants to, he wants to put the squeeze play on you. If you ever watch baseball, uh, you, you've seen a squeeze play. It's when the runner's on third base, and right as, right as the, the pitcher goes into the windup, the, the runner uh, on, on third, he, he breaks for home. And whenever that happens, so you, you kind of get a visual. Whenever that happens, the runner's on third, pitcher goes in the windup, he starts to run. It's imperative that whoever's at bat has to hit the ball. Because if he misses, then that runner's caught between home and third base. I mean, he's, he really would like to bunt. But he's got to do something. If he misses, then, then you've just put the runner on third base in a really, you're trapped. You've got nowhere to go. And that's what Satan is going to try to do with you. You get moving. God's doing something. And you're excited. And, All right, let's go. And then he's going, to try to, he's going to try to get in the way. When you face resistance, and you will, you will face resistance. You've got a couple options. You can either doubt or you can persevere. When you're in the squeeze play, you've you, you got to go for it. And when you get resistance, it's going to cause you, you'll, you may be tempted to double back or try to get back to a safe place. But that's not really an option. But the best thing you've got going for you is to try to slide into home. You've got to press on in confidence. Verse 14 says that afterward, Jesus found this guy in the temple. I love this part, by the way, and it's such a, great, such a great thing that happened. But the fact that Jesus would seek him out. You notice what it says, Jesus found him in the temple. He was looking for him. It wasn't just a coincidence. He just wants to follow up now. And he said, well, now that you're well, stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. That's a good word for all of us. We sometimes forget the sin in our life, the things that we think we've got control over, the things that we think that we can manage, it's, it's all good, this is just my little thing, and nobody knows about it, and it's all right. It's, it's taking you further than you want to go, and it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. And it's destroying your life. And that's, what, that's all Jesus is pointing out here. He says, you've you got to stop sinning. Because para, being paralyzed must have been terrible, but there are worse things than being paralyzed. Your life can be destroyed. And that's what he says to us, too. And he says that then the man went and he told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. He persevered. Uh, he, he went right back to Jesus, and then, and then Jesus challenged him even more. You know, I told you to stand up and pick up your mat. Now I'm going to tell you to stop sinning so that something worse doesn't happen. There's a Christian author named Betsy St. Amant. And she writes, understandably, in a lot of ways, this sick man had given up. And yet he was still enticed enough by the pool and the potential that he couldn't let himself get too far away. Maybe some rogue hope still resided deep inside, even after all that time. Maybe that's what Jesus recognized and responded to. Maybe that's why Jesus asked him, do you want to be healed? Because Jesus already knew the answer, but the sick man, he needed to know what the answer was. He had to participate in his own healing, and we do too. You and I do too. This guy, he needed to face the fact that sometimes healing can be dangerous. It can be risky. 
It can hurt even more than the original wound. Broken bones need to be set. And setting can sometimes mean re-breaking. You know, it's easy. It's easy to ask God to heal us. It's, it's easy to ask God to strengthen us or to remove some issue in our life. You know, help, help us be successful. Help me to do the right thing, whatever. But are we truly willing to be healed? Are we ready to let go of that security blanket? Are we ready to trust and let Jesus have access to those wounded places? Are we really ready to go there? That's the question, I think. I hope that maybe you'll wrestle with that this week because and that's something, I mean, I, even I've learned this week is there are a lot of areas in my life that I thought I was pretty good and I think I've been pretty strong and I think I've been pretty together. And when I realize that life can fall apart just like that, it's, it shakes you. You know, what, where are we, what are we going to do then? Are we willing to go to those places and, and, and let Jesus tell us it's time to get up and walk? You've got to trust me. You've got to get up and walk. Not a loser's limp. We've got, to get, we've got to get those old muscles working that haven't been worked out in a while. And it might hurt. But there's a difference between living your life by the side of the pool and swimming freely in the abundant life that God has in store for you. And that's what I hope we move toward. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thanks for... You have, you have plans that we can't begin to understand. And help us to, help us to trust your ways, especially when they don't line up with, with our thoughts. I'm thankful for these brothers and sisters that are here as we're all moving closer towards you together. And I pray that you would continue to, to save us from the lies that we have believed about ourselves. Help to, to move us and to continue to help us to, to stay close to you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill each one of us and give us the power to do the things that we don't believe that we're capable of because we're not on our own. Help us, Lord, to stand up and walk. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. See you next time.